Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Johnny, we got two major league debuts on the same night. And here's Mark Appel. Tremendous story. Former number one pick overall in Major League Baseball's amateur draft by the Houston Astros in 2013 out of Stanford. And a first pitch is swung out in line. Marcelo Zuna over to first. One out. One, two. And a call. Strike three. First big league strikeout at 97 miles an hour. And he'll pitch to Goslin. Bouncer left side. Didi Gregorius flips to second. It's a scoreless debut for Mark Appel. Yeah. Ten pitches. He deserves it. And again, Philadelphia showing the love as the greatest city can do. Mark Appel, the long journey. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. My name is Mike Petriello. I'm a writer and researcher at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com national content editor. Today is Thursday, June 30th. We actually have some big show news. Matt and I will get through our opener, and then when we get to our three-bounder minimum after a break, we're going to be joined by two of our favorite people who will have a little bit of podcast news, so please stay tuned for that. Matt, I guess we have to start with the fact that Mark Appel actually got into a major league game last night. That's pretty cool. I also meant to point out briefly because I forgot to, um, you know who's been tweeting at me over the last uh, 24 hours? I'm going to give you two interesting names. Luis Guillorme's dad and Franchi Cordero's agent, who every time my boy Franchi does something good, he tweets at me the updated OPS, which... <laughs> If you're a long-time listener of the show, this is basically like, you know, Luis Perdomo's agent tweeting at Matt. I don't know who that is, but now I feel like we should find out. Anyway, I had to get that part of it out there. Uh, Mark Appel got into a major league game last night. He uh, long backstory, which we'll get to, but basically, he was the number one overall pick by Houston in 2013. Got traded, never really performed, retired, was out of baseball for three years, he finally got into a game last night. He will be 31 years old in two weeks. He's the oldest number one pick to ever debut. It's a it's a really cool story. Um, I know he is someone that we've both kind of followed for a long time. And just to, to see this happen, it's like it's a good baseball story with no strings attached. You know, it is a feel good. Wow, that's that's super cool. Yeah, I'm drawn to this story. I mean, I was way more in the weeds on the draft um, back in 2011, 2012 when he was on the radar. I mean, like... For those who like weren't following the draft or prospects at the time, like Mark Appel was kind of like the guy. There was sort of you know there's there's always been this kind of archetype of 
college pitching prospect where it's like, oh, this is the polished college pitcher. He's kind of, you know, a kind of a can't-miss guy where there's this belief of, like, even if he's not necessarily going to be an ace, you could feel very confident that he will be a very good major league starting pitcher. And, like, Mark Appel was very much that guy. And he fell in 2011 like starting in 2012 to number eight to the Pirates, partially because there were questions about how his signing bonus demands and and like maybe that the, the, the performance didn't quite match the stuff or vice versa. I honestly can't even remember exactly what the story was at the time, but he fell to eighth with the Pirates. He did not want to sign there. He went back to Stanford for his senior year, continued to perform well, and he became the number one pick in the draft. And, you know, you don't want to be that trivia question, right? There. Right now, as of now, there are only two... Um, Number one overall picks ever, definitively, who did not pitch in the major leagues. Steve Chilcott, um, 1966 draft by the Mets. They took Reggie, Reggie Jackson at number two. Um, I can't remember if 65 or 66, but he, he was picked ahead of Reggie Jackson. Um, that's one. And the other is Brian Taylor, um, the you know infamous Yankees prospect who went number one in 1991 and was considered as can't miss as against. They hurt his shoulder in like a, in a fight and um, ended up never being the same. So... You don't want to be that third guy. It looked like Mike, Mark Appel might be that third guy. Now it's kind of looking like Brady Aiken might be that third guy. I'm not sure I would. I'm not prepared to rule him out yet because you no, know I if, Mar- if, yeah. if Mark Appel taught us anything, <laughs> it's that maybe you shouldn't rule guys out. For those who don't forget, similar story. Brady Aiken was the number one overall pick in 2014 um, by the Astros. Did not sign, and then he was a first round pick of the then Indians a year later. And has never made the majors and was released last October and is out of baseball right now. Yeah, so, I mean, slightly different circumstances because the Astros didn't believe Aiken's uh, arm was healthy, which I think turned out to be true. Uh, for Appel, you know, he was uh, originally the number eight overall pick by the Pirates in 2012 and he didn't sign, which gave Pittsburgh the ability to draft Austin Meadows the next year and eventually trade him for Chris Archer. He was the number one overall pick by Houston in 2013. He spent a couple years there and never really dominated in the minors. And I was I was thinking about, like, what do I remember about the Mark Appel story? And I had this vague memory, and I looked it up, and, it, and it's true. So he was str- struggling in the minors in 2014. And remember, at this point, the Astros were still, like, awful, right? They were in the really bad parts of being the Astros. And he was struggling at uh, an A ball, like a bad ERA, and they brought him to Minute Maid Park to throw a bullpen. And I think I went back and I looked at some of the stories, and there were so many players, like major leaguers, who complained about that, which in retrospect seems like just like the whiniest thing. Like, so what? A minor leaguer is throwing a bullpen. Um, and that ended up, you know, kind of like being almost like a focal point of like, wow, this guy's the number one overall pick, and now he's sort of like a flashpoint. I think you maybe mentioned this like a couple weeks ago. He is one of the guys you perhaps think about where if we had today's technology, he might have fallen a little bit more because, you know, the shape on his fastball was never like that elite. And I think what's happened now is he's throwing a sinker. He's working out of the bullpen. He got through a scoreless inning last night, you know, and it, it's cool. Like the Phillies could absolutely use whatever bullpen help they get. And from a from a the Phillies need someone good. And from a cool baseball story, I hope he sticks out for as long as he possibly can because he's missed so much time. You know, I hope he gets like a couple years of a good baseball career out of this. Totally. And you mentioned here in, in this, um, these notes you prepared, he's the oldest first number one overall pick to debut, but not the longest since 
the day he was drafted. Is that am I reading this correctly? And that was Matt Bush, who's kind of another guy where it was like, oh, this is, you know, it took him 12 years from the day he was drafted to debut in the majors, but he eventually made it. He actually switched from being he was drafted as a shortstop and became a relief pitcher as well. Another story where it was kind of like by the time he debuted, it was like, okay, this is cool, like good for him. He persevered, he made it like you look at Mark Appel now, it's kind of hard not to to, to, to root for him. The, the most surprising thing to me when I looked at Matt Bush is, wait a minute, Matt Bush is still around. <laughs> like he's he's still in, this is uh, you know, his fifth season with Texas, but he missed two seasons to injury, so he's been around for a while. I mean, he's 36 years old and striking out 12 per nine, which is kind of a cool story by itself. But, you know, as you mentioned uh, kind of off our show here, you go back to that 2013 draft, like the top of it. And it's, it's interesting in a lot of weird ways. Like, Appel was number one, right? And then you have Chris Bryant and John Gray. Like, we talked about that duo a lot this past winter because they were both free agents. And then um, <laughs> what's, yeah, this this threw me for a second. I forgot this was news. So Cole Stewart was number four. Number five uh, was a minor league third baseman or an amateur third baseman named Jackson Frazier. And I stopped for a second. I'm like, what? Who? What? Clint Frazier changed his name. Not changed his name. Like, that's his legal name. He wants to go by that now. That was... Clint Frazier, Colin Moran, who just got cut like yesterday, Trey Ball, who never made it. And you go down the rest of this list, like, okay, Tim Anderson, like, great. Uh, Hunter Renfro has had his moments. Uh, Marco Gonzalez, grasping at straws after that. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a great draft, you know. And if you're looking at current, like, current players, like, by far the best guy currently in the majors is Aaron Judge, who went number 32 overall to the Yankees. Um, and then, like, the next best guy at this moment from this draft, who's been one of the best pitchers in baseball right now, is Devin Williams, who's been like, in, even by Devin Williams standards, been absolutely outrageous for like the last month out of the bullpen for Milwaukee. But it, you look, you go down the list of this draft, it's a pretty underwhelming list, especially when you consider where where Chris Bryant is now. Now he's finally back on the field, but it's like. Who knows what we're going to get from him for the rest of his career? Yeah, I should say Devin Williams was a second rounder, which is why I did not see him when scanning <laughs> the first rounders. Well, anyway, it's great for Mark Capel. It's great for baseball. We will take a quick break and we'll be back with some pretty big podcast news on the Baseball Dimensions podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We 
we are back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. And as we teased at the beginning of the show, this is kind of a special episode for us because we have some pretty big news that we are excited about. You know, every once in a while, someone tweets at me and says, Mike, you know, we like the podcast, do it more often. And I'm like, eh, Matt and I are busy. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Well, we have some pretty big news. Two of our absolute favorite people are on with us, and they are going to be expanding the podcast a two episodes a week, one from Matt and I, and one from Sarah Langs and Mandy Bell. You know Sarah because she is, I think, the absolute expert at anything research you can think of. Mandy Bell is our Cleveland Guardians beat reporter, and I'm looking at her right now in the press box in Cleveland right before a game is about to start. So first of all, welcome, Sarah, Mandy. Uh, so excited to have you doing a show. Sarah, I'll start with you real quick. I didn't even thinking about this for a, a long time. Um, what What is this, what is your show, your version of the show going to be like? Like, where are we going to start here? Well, you know, Mandy and I love baseball. Everybody knows that about us. And thank you guys so much for having us. And, you know, I think the goal of our show is just going to be sharing that love of the game with everybody. We're going to certainly take some research bents to topics like you guys do from my side. And from Mandy's side, we get so much on the reporting side. So it's really exciting to put that all together. And Mandy and I talk about baseball together constantly, absolutely constantly at all hours of the day and night. So now others will get to hear those conversations. Yes, I've, I've watched you two tweet at each other for a couple of years now uh, with such uh, love for the game. So the way this is going to work is usually on Mondays, you'll have the Sarah and Mandy ballpark dimensions. And on Thursdays, Matt and myself, we're going to start off by immediately not doing that because Monday's a holiday. So I think it'll be a little different next week, but that's to just going forward. And Mandy, I'm really excited to have you uh, being a part of this too, because you have experience that none of the other three of us do. I've never been a beat writer. Matt's not, Sarah's not. You are always traveling somewhere. Like I'm always excited to see where you will be each week. I think I saw a picture of you sitting on the floor of an airport or something doing a show recently. So I think that's going to be uh, kind of fun for you to share. Like it's not going to be a Guardians podcast, but you know, your experiences traveling and covering a major league team, I think will, will be pretty interesting for people. Yeah. And especially being able to travel so much, you get to see so many different teams. So I know that the common thought is that you get so entrenched in just what you're doing every single day with that one specific team but you get to see so many different players you get to see so many different teams in so many different cities so I think it's going to be fun um, to be able to just talk with Sarah I, I guess in a more public setting considering it's talking with Sarah every day anyway so we can just at least have that going out somewhere else so that it's not just trapped in our phone history of how many times we talk about these things. Although from what I've seen in the baseball schedule recently I feel like the Guardians only play the Twins. Um, it seems. <laughs> yeah, that's that's been this week. Um, I feel like I'm in like Groundhog Day of seeing one team. Uh, it's now Thursday somehow, and they've been here since Monday. So um, and a doubleheader in there. So yeah, it's a. Uh, it's been uh, it's been a lot of Minnesota, and they played them last week. So yeah, uh, eventually we will get to other teams, and I will be able to talk about uh, some other stuff. But it is very Twins focused for now. <laughs> So we wanted to integrate, you know, Sarah and Mandy into our normal our normal show process this week, and they'll they'll put their own spin on it when they when they do their episodes. Although there'll be some some general alignment, but you know, th- this part of our show is what we call our, our three batter minimum. You know, we'll consider that introduction to Sarah and Mandy our first batter. We want to move on to our second and third topic, which are topics that were handpicked by Sarah and Mandy themselves. Uh, number two being just like 
the fact that a lot of the the rookies in the league right now started kind of slow, but it actually feels like kind of picking up. If you hadn't been paying attention, these guys are pretty good. I think I think that is the first time you have ever introduced a new topic, and it's really <laughs> throwing me for a loop here. Um, but it, but it's true, and uh, obviously, like I know this is a topic that Sarah and Mandy pitched, so I want to let you guys lead it. But like Bobby Wood Jr. started off slow; he's been great. Julio Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman. It's a pretty cool time for uh, these like great rookie players. Which which one of them is standing out to you, Sarah? Like which is the guy who is like, well, this is this is why we got to talk about this. I mean, I think it's Julio. I feel like every time he homers, I just tweet Julio in all caps. And he has been exactly the player that I think we expected, as you made reference to. So our uh, colleague Andrew Simon had a great tweet a couple days ago, which I've updated. So Julio in his first 20 games hit 205, 544 OPS. Not what we're expecting out of a guy who's supposed to be power, speed, defense, and really hitting the ball. His last 56 games now, which is a lot, by the way. We've been seeing him for more than 75 games now. 294 average, 871 OPS. And I expect those numbers to get even better. I mean, this is the guy we're expecting. I was expecting him to be on the kind of Byron Bucks and Mike Trout, Ronald Acuna Jr. kind of lists of top in barrel rate and sprint speed, and that's what we've seen. And he's so much fun to watch in the outfield. He really interacts with the fans out there, and I believe they already have a cheering section for him, kind of like uh, King Felix's corner back in the day in Seattle. So he's the guy who stands out to me first and foremost, but all three of the guys you mentioned have been so much better lately, and this is why they were top prospects. I think it's a good reminder. We've been so spoiled the last couple of years. I think I've said this before. I'm sure I have like Soto, Acuna, all these guys just show up uh, on day one and they're like, oh, we're great now. Like we're here and we're great. And it doesn't always happen that way. <laughs> like there are certainly guys who take some time and, and need to adjust. And like, that's not unexpected. Uh, I think for me, it's Adley Rutschman. I mean, he, for the first three weeks, looked lost like absolutely totally lost and over the last couple weeks like he's he's almost looked like baltimore might have a competitive future going on mandy where where are you looking at here well we hit the other two so it's only fitting that i now go to the third because for me bobby witt is it's been it's been interesting to see that development because i i know for our royals writer annie rogers i talked to her so much during this the early weeks of the season with it because there was just so much hype around him and then they had to go through that drama of, okay, are we going to move him lower in the lineup? Is What what are we going to do with this? Because the, the stage was set for him. There was so much excitement in Kansas City about him. And they didn't really know what to do. And now to see him really starting to settle in, I feel like I see Annie tweeting, like, Bobby Witt in all caps, like, every third day. Because there's either an awesome play in the field. Um, I think she's, I mean, I've seen the videos of him doing his little cheater plays every couple days. And there's just different things where um, it's just so cool to see him settle in. And now she's like, well, I have Bobby Witt to write about today. I have Bobby Witt to write about today. Um, So it's just really neat because I know there was a lot of hype around him. Oh, he's not even, he hasn't even hit a home run yet. He's not hitting a home run. What's going on with him? Um, I think it's cool to see young players have to, sort of adjust in a way and settle in and figure out how to grow into 
what they're expected to be because there's only a select group of people who have this level of pressure on them when they get to the big leagues. It's obviously pressuring for everyone, but to be someone who the whole world is focused on rather than just your fan base because you're this highly touted prospect, it's been cool to see him go through that transition, and I think it's been, um, it's been really fun to watch him the last few days especially. <laughs> Yeah, I'm only sorry to say that if you look at all the great American League rookies, Pena, Rodriguez, they're all going to be overtaken by Vinny Pasquantino soon enough, who I think I'd be negligent if I didn't at least mention. He's in the big leagues now. He got two walks the other day. Hasn't had a hit yet. I'm sure it'll happen. Let's move on to our third topic. Uh, Shohei Otani is doing Shohei Otani things again. I don't know if this is how you all feel, but this is how at least it felt to me. The first like two months or so of his season... uh, I shouldn't use the word disappointment because it's incredibly unfair, but it wasn't quite to like the stunning levels of what we saw last year. And then over the last couple of weeks, he has been better than ever. Over the last three weeks, he has six homers as a hitter uh, and an OPS over a thousand. While the Angels are ten and eight, which we're gonna have to get back to that. Over his last three starts as a pitcher, thirty strikeouts, four walks, and zero runs. It is almost impossible to do better as a baseball player than he is. Meanwhile, the Angels are 12 games out in the West, and they're four games <laughs> under 500. Um, Matt, is is he now going to be, I guess, is he going to be the front runner in the MVP now, even though the Angels are bad and the Yankees are good and Aaron Judge is going to hit 52 home runs? I think as long as Aaron Judge keeps hitting like mm-hmm. this, Judge will remain the, the, the front runner, right? Like... There's always like a little bit of voter fatigue. People don't want to give it to the same guy two years in a row unless there's like a really compelling reason. I think if like the Angels had somehow stayed on their playoff course and made the playoffs, there might be an argument. But I think the way that their season has just kind of like really taken a turn for the worst, despite Otani and Trout continuing to to play be the best versions of themselves, I have a hard time seeing um, Otani winning MVP again. Especially since like it's there's a good chance he'll have a great season and it still won't be good as his as his season last year. Um, I think you're right, and I think I will fight pretty hard against that, and award season's basically going to be a bloodbath. Ned, you saw the Angels uh, in person, or, or at least Cleveland did, I guess. I don't know for certain you were on the trip, but they played early in the year before Joe Madden got fired, and I guess you have, you'll see them later on in the year. They're very different teams now. Um, is there any chance the Angels will actually finish above 500? Because if they don't, it'll be seven years in a row, the longest streak of any team, which just seems absolutely impossible. I actually was on that trip. Um, I was able to go out there and see that, and that was really cool because that was my first time seeing Otani in person, and so that was a really exciting moment. I know Sarah, I was texting her the entire time saying, I can't believe I get to do this today. So um, that was really, really neat. It's hard. I mean, it's really hard to imagine when you think of Mike Trout and Shohei Otani being on the same team, and that team is always so consistently under 500 so every year I want to say like yeah they're obviously going to be better this year or they're going to be a winning team and somehow they're not so I feel like history has caused me to be more cautious in predicting that but I I want to say yes I want to say that they have to figure out a way to get there especially when every headline on MLB.com every day I check it it seems like Oh, uh, Shohei Otani is doing something else. Um, the first thing I checked today, making my newsletter for the Guardians this week, I'm trying to find other headlines to put in my stories to, for people to read, and it's like, oh, Otani did another thing, 11 more strikeouts, this and that. So it's just like, I don't know how they couldn't be in a position where they are a winning team. 
they don't know who their manager will be on Sunday. This is my, I think, my favorite story in baseball right now. This is a tweet from my friend J.P. Hornster, who writes for the Orange County Register. The Angels will turn to their fourth manager of 2022 on Sunday. They still don't know who it will be. Obviously, Joe Madden got fired. Phil Nevin is suspended. Ray Montgomery, who is the, one of the bench coaches, uh, will serve his suspension on Sunday and Tuesday around a Monday day off. They don't know who will manage. Maybe it'll be Jeremy Reed or Mike Gallegos or Benji Gill. Can anybody give me a good reason why it shouldn't be Shohei Otani? Anybody? No. No. I mean, it absolutely should be him. He's doing everything for them anyway. And I almost feel like, you know, to play devil's advocate to what Matt was saying before, I think Otani as a pitcher is better this year than last year. I think this year he has been what he was after the disastrous start in New York. This year, he's been doing that all year. And I wonder if he more seriously gets into the Cy Young conversation. How do you not give that guy MVP? I mean, we've talked about this, Mike. I know you and I have on uh, Top 10 right now about Otani not having enough innings to really qualify for our top list. But if you ask me right now, I think he's on my Top 10 list moving forward for next year. So. The more that he gets into that echelon, the harder it is to not say he's the absolute best player. We had our Cy Young poll on MLB.com come out today, and Otani is in the others, for now at least, is in the other others receiving votes section in Cy Young with uh, Shane McClanahan of the Rays uh, dominating the poll, at least for now. Obviously, a lot of the season left. And to your point, Sarah, I'll admit I didn't even fully realize um, how much better Otani's fielding independent pitching stats are this year or better this year compared to last year, almost a, almost a, a full run better um, was three five two last year two five three as of this uh, this recording. I think my favorite Angels related clip over the last couple of days, and it's it's always high quality podcasting to describe something you can't hear. But the the Angels pitcher was very clearly tipping his pitches, and Mike Trout is out in center field, like moving his hands in a fake glove, being like, God, "Come on, I can see it," um, which I guess is what happens when you don't have enough coaches, and maybe that means Mike Trout should coach. I should have said at the beginning that the Sarah and Mandy episodes of the podcast will be on the same feed. You don't have to resubscribe. You don't have to look anywhere else. If you're subscribed to our podcast, you will automatically get the Sarah and Mandy episodes, which we're all very excited about. The first one will come out next week. We are so excited for you two to start. Can't wait to listen to it. Matt and I will be back after a quick break with a couple of guys you should be paying a little bit more attention to. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello and Matt Myers are big thanks to Sarah Langs and Mandy Bell. Make sure you check out their version of the show going forward. It's going to be pretty exciting. Matt and I always like to end our week by talking about a player you should know a little more about. I'm excited about my guy because there's some on-field success here. There's a cool like baseball career progression story. And then there's also going to be a story about a silver gem-studded eye mask. So this is going to be a good one. This is actually suggested to me by a listener a couple weeks ago. I'm sorry, I can't remember your name. But now we're getting into the John Schreiber experience. John Schreiber is a Boston reliever. He's been really good. A .73 ERA in 26 games, 29 to 5 strikeout to walk, just 12 hits allowed in 24 and two-thirds innings. He might be Boston's best reliever. If that's too much, he's at least Boston's best reliever legally allowed to enter the country of Canada. And he didn't even make the opening day roster. I made that, you know, vaccine joke, but he was called up the first time the Red Sox went to Canada when Tanner Houck and Cutter Crawford could not enter the country and they needed a reliever and they called up John Schreiber. Like, that's how he got to the Red Sox this year. But what was interesting to me when I started researching him is he has actually had parts of three seasons of Major League experience before this, and I would be lying if I had heard of him before, let's say, two months ago. He's pretty fun because and I'm a sucker for these stories. He grew up in Michigan as a Tigers fan. He actually proposed to his girlfriend, now his wife, in the dugout at Comerica Park. Six months after being drafted by the Tigers, he little white lie and said, hey, we got to go to the park. I have to sign some employment paperwork. Got into the dugout and he proposed to her. And then he pitched for the Tigers. Like, that is such a cool story. Problem is, he wasn't very good. He was there for 28 games in 2019 and 20 with a 628 ERA. Matt, if you say you knew he was there, you're lying. I didn't know he was there either. I just did not know him. Uh, he was placed on waivers at DFA'd in February of 2021 to make room for the immortal Nomar Mazzara. He was claimed by the Red Sox, although they DFA'd him a couple days later too, and no one claimed him. He spent all of last year in the minors pitching for the AAA Worcester Red Sox, the Woo Sox, so they got into one game as a September call-up. And then when he came up this year, all of a sudden the fastball that was 89 in 2020 is 94 dropping down to a lower release point, a lot more sinker slider, a lot less changeup. Apparently a lot of the credit for that goes to Woosak's pitching coach, Paul Abbott. I did promise there would be a story about a silver gem-studded eye mask, and here it is. The Red Sox, who have been playing very good baseball at late, when they win, they have a post-game locker room party that he is apparently like the main driving force behind. Uh, this is a quote from The Athletic. There's a yellow feathery boa and a silver gem-studded eye mask hanging on a hook inside John Schreiber's locker just inside the door to the Red Sox clubhouse. He gets the party started. Apparently, he started doing this last year in AAA, and when Chris Sale was there on an injury rehab stint, he saw this, and he's like, wow. So when Schreier came up, he's like, well, you got to start doing that here, too. Credit to Chris Sale, I guess. So there's my guy. John Schreiber is pitching extremely well on the field, has a pretty fun story. Not a great look for the Tigers, I guess, who let a hometown boy go off to be very good, but a success story for the Boston Red Sox. And before we get to my guy, can we talk about, like, the Red Sox and the AL for a second? Because, like, sure. I think that, like, I'm guilty of this every year. I think despite the fact that I, like, work in baseball— love baseball, follow it extremely closely. I have amnesia, and every year I forget just how long the baseball season is. And, like, I, I want to apologize because I feel like six weeks ago in this podcast, I was like, Red Sox trade deadline, they're going to be interesting. Like, they could be selling off pieces like J.D. Martinez. Like, watch out because they got off to this terrible start. They look terrible. And I was just like, oh, these guys are done. And now you look at the AL wildcard picture. I mean, they're not catching the Yankees. That I, that I can say with, with some certainty. They're 13 games behind. 
But they have passed not just the Rays, which you talked about this week, but also the Blue Jays. If the seasons if the seasons ended today, the Red Sox would have the first wild card spot. I think it's like a pretty remarkable turnaround overall, and just like another like thing that I should remind myself, like set you know set a calendar reminder for myself, like next May first, like reminder the season's really long, don't overreact. But I'm probably going to forget anyway. But man, how are the Red Sox doing this? I I don't think you need to apologize to anyone for not expecting that for like two straight months. Nick Pavetta would pitch like he's a top ten starting pitcher in baseball, which is which is essentially what's happened. And I mean they have three legitimate offensive superstars, right? JD Martinez, Bogarts, Devers are all like MVP caliber. And story, you know, terrible start, but he's played much better lately. What's weird to me is you look at this team and like. They are not quite angels-esque stars and scrubs, but it's it's kind of like they have huge holes at first base, in the outfield, I think at the back end of the rotation, like they do need help, but they've certainly put themselves in the position where it's reasonable to go get that help in a way where it's like, I don't know that that's reasonable for the Phillies, for the Angels. So I'm with you. Credit where credit is due. The Red Sox have played great. Okay, so my guy who I want to finish off with, and I always tease Mike about picking random relievers. Well, this week I'm picking a random— Which I did. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I can't tease you this week about it because I'm also picking—not random, um, but a relief pitcher, and that's Griffin Jack's uh, right-handed pitcher for the Twins. Now, people who don't follow the Twins, they might know the name because he was originally like— I don't want to say famous, but like he was no he he got some media attention when he was drafted. He was a third round pick in 2016 by the Twins, and he got some attention because he was taken out of the Air Force Academy, and it was sort of like, well, because of his military duty, is he going to be able to play in the major leagues for for a third round pick? That's kind of like a, a high pick because he may have to do five years of service. Like, um, what's what's going to happen with with Griffin Jacks? Well, what ended up happening was that. In 2018, he was granted membership in the United States military's world-class athlete program, which basically allowed him to make Olympic training his full-time responsibility, which counts towards your years of active duty, and also allowed him to pitch in the minors full-time, which sort of like allowed him to, um, you know, keep developing as a pitcher while you know s- serving out his his uh, his mil- military duty. In fact, his wife. Savannah is also in the Air Force, and she's a captain. He is a first lieutenant. So, um, or I guess when he when he when he left uh, active active duty, he was a first lieutenant at the time. The captain is one one rung above uh, above first lieutenant. So his wife Savannah, um, who is in the Air Force, outranks him. Um, and last year in 2021, Griffin Jacks became the first Air Force Academy graduate to make it to the majors. Great story. Unfortunately, he really really struggled as a starting pitcher. He was very good the first time through the order against uh, opposing lineups, but subsequently he was sort of a very good data point in the whole times through the order penalty. First time through the order, he was had a 597 OPS against. That's good. Second time through the order, over a thousand. Third time through the order, um, even even more over a thousand. So it looked like you know what, maybe this guy isn't cut out to be a starting pitcher. But this year he's fully reliever. Guess what? He's throwing his slider a lot more. He was throwing it 31% of the time last year. He's throwing it 43% of the time this year. And man, he's been really good for the Twins, especially good over the last month. Over the last 30 days, 15 innings pitched, 20 strikeouts, one walk. For the season, he has a 2.65 ERA and a 2.66 expected ERA, so very much in line. He's been a big part of the Twins' bullpen. And it's very cool to see a guy drafted to the Air Force Academy, cool backstory, 
make it to the majors. He's found his role, and Twins are in first place. He's been a big contributor. Also, Griffin Jacks, spelled J-A-X, is just an objectively cool name. Like, it's an extremely cool name. I'm laughing at at the magnitude of that times through the order. 597 the first time and over 1,000 the next two times. It's like literally double. And I'm just thinking the Twins spent the offseason go, well, why don't we just make the whole airplane out of the first time <laughs> through the order, which is generally the idea. And... It's more than just like a cool story. It's it's desperately needed because the the Twins bullpen is in really rough shape. Now you have um, John Durant who has been phenomenal, and then everybody else is boy they really miss they really miss whichever Rogers brother it was Taylor. Let's go with that that they sent to San Diego who's with those are closer for a couple years because Chris Paddock got hurt. Um, they really really need some bullpen help, but it's not because of Griffin Jacks. I'm, I was really happy when you picked him because I think he's a really fascinating story. Remember, uh, the next time that you see a Ballpark Dimensions podcast show up on whatever service you use, it's going to be the Sarah and Mandy show, and then Matt and I will be back later next week, and that's how it'll go each week forward. Two episodes, one from them, one from us. We're very excited about it. That will do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, have any suggestions, please leave us a rating and review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We will see you next week.